Welcome to the world-famous Jiggy Jaguar radio program. Raw and uncut, Jiggy Jag, you know how you do it. You know what I'm saying? Broadcasting live from Hutchinson, Kansas. Well, I'm sitting here with a linguist. I had a no idea. <laughs> I, love I didn't that. know you were, but I didn't know that you were a wordsmith. <laughs> Call Jiggy right now. 267 22 Jiggy. Hey, Jiggy, what's happening, man? Must be that uh, David Bowie song. Jiggy play guitar. Jeff. It's a great name, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Presenting. I'm, I'm Mike Massey, and uh, you know, you can catch me on Jiggy Jag TV and uh, see a few of my tricks up there. Thank you very much. Jiggy Jaguar. I never knew what freedom was until I saw you lose yours. Welcome to a fabulous, fabulous edition of the World Famous Chicken Jaguar Radio Program, coast to coast and border to border on TuneIn, iTunes, our radio loyalty, Stitcher, and of course, the Jiggy Jaguar app available in the App Store. And uh, we've got a great guest with us today. Uh, Len joins us. We're going to be talking with him here in just a few moments about uh, an incredible, incredible series of events, also a, uh, a great book. And uh, if you want to get more information, check out Watergate.com. Len Collinday is with us. He's a longtime political activist in the Washington, D.C. area. Successful small businessman before he embarked on his research for Silent Coop. And, of course, he has had a long and unique history with the Washington Post. He's with us today here on the telephone. How are you, my friend? I'm fine. I'm. Uh, I survived all the bullets for the past 25 <laughs> years. So, I guess you. I guess you get some kind of medal or award or maybe just a star in your uh, on your legacy. But uh, it's been an interesting journey, now, and uh, it started with a, yes, what seemed like a nothing dispute between myself and Bob Woodward, who was the Metro editor at that time, 1980. Uh, and it has blossomed into uh, a, a very strange journey where uh, I was able to, with the help of a lot of people, uncover the reality of Nixon's removal. And I, I use the word removal very carefully because that's what it was. It was not an impeachment and it was not a trial. Nobody was found guilty and a president left office. And that's against our Constitution. Yes. Constitution provides that only for the president, the only citizen, he must be impeached and tried by the Senate. That did not happen. Now, tell us tell us a little bit about where where this story starts and, and how you get into the uh, get into the mix here. Well, I was doing work with Bob Getlin. We thought we were going to do a book called Woodward After Watergate. He had been involved in suits against the Post by Mobile Oil. He had another story that he edited called Little Jimmy, an eight-year-old drug addict, who turned out it didn't exist, and the whole city was looking for this little drug addict. And it was, and then this inter- that I had with him over my job in Montgomery County, Maryland, a, as a consultant to their liquor department. And it, it, it was a dispute over whether he could use certain materials or not, and he violated our agreement. And that whole story is on Watergate.com, and you can your listeners and can uh, see the whole thing. Uh, we worked on it for about three years, and then a book called Secret Agenda came out by Jim Hogan. 
And Hogan reveals for the first time that Bob Woodward had worked in the Nixon White House in 1969 and 70 in a very sensitive secret job manning Nixon's back channel from the Pentagon around the Pentagon and the State Department and the CIA. Wow. And he would he would get his messages and then he would take them to uh, the White House and brief uh, then Colonel Alexander Haig. And he has denied that and lied about it. And it's the key to the story of, of how Nixon goes out. Uh, Nixon uh, formed, uh, on day one, a secret government. He, he signed a document called NSDM-2, which reconfigured the National Security Council so that all the power of the State Department, Defense Department, and the CIA would be in his office between he and Kissinger. And they basically ran this secret government, uh, taking troops out of Vietnam, secret Paris peace talks, uh, dealings with the Chinese, and finally Admiral Moore, who was then chairman of the Joint Chiefs, formed a spy ring. And the spy ring was, was headed by Moore himself and had inside the White House a uh, uh, office of the rank of captain who manned this Pentagon little office in the White House. And he and a yeoman, uh, with Haig's help, were stealing Nixon's secrets till they got caught in December of, of 1971. And uh, those were the folks that were tied to Bob Woodward. Uh, an Admiral Wellander who succeeded Admiral Robinson in the job and was the one caught stealing was Woodward's former commanding officer on the USS Fox. Moore was his boss at the time, sending him to the White House. And, of course, he was briefing Alexander Haig so that all the key players in this spy ring were tied to Bob Woodward in one way or another. And... Uh, we have a whole page on the spy ring. Uh, it's amazing. It happened, it's real, and it got buried in the United States Senate by the Senate Armed Services Committee. I was very fortunate because John Ehrlichman, who was a Nixon top aide, domestic aide, in 1986, went into the archives and took out of it a transcript of Admiral Wellander's confession to uh, David Young and to Ehrlichman. Uh, it, was, it is top secret to this day. You can't get it out of there. It's in my book. You can see it in my book, but you can't go to the, and take it at, at the archives. He got it out of there, and he gave it to me, and I was able to use it to get more information and more information. And the spy ring was uh, sort of nobody realized the import of it or the ties to to uh, Bob Woodward. So in the end, it's not Watergate that's going to do Nixon in. His enemies are going to use Watergate to force him out. And that's different than the story we've been told. So why and, have we been told this, this, this fantasy and this fairy tale all these years? Well, it, it is unfortunate that the press has controlled this. Bob Woodward got to write the history. He wrote a book called All the President's Men, yeah. and it's a fairy tale. There is no deep throat. Deep throat is a distraction. It's meant to keep you away from the real uh, 
sources of the story, which is Alexander Haig. Uh, Alexander Haig became Nixon's chief of staff in May of 1973. Now remember, in, in December of 1971, they caught the spy ring, but Nixon closed it down so fast he never found out that Haig was one of the, one of the members of the spy ring. So, in effect, he appoints to be his chief of staff, the guy who was spying on him. Oh, Jesus. Really? Uh, and, uh, so, now you've got a situation for 15 months, May of 73 to August of 1974. You have a situation where the man who's supposed to be protecting the president, Alexander Haig, is in effect the president. He, he inherits a Nixon who is really wounded, and he's spending time drinking and on, on pills. Uh, you might recall, we went to DEFCON 3 in this country for the first time maybe ever in October of 1973 with the Middle East War yep. because we wanted to keep the Soviet Union out. That decision was made without the president there. The president was in Camp David drinking while they were going to DEFCON 3 under Alexander Haig. Alexander Haig is one of the most incredible characters in American history. And, of course, he was rewarded by making him Secretary of State in, in a group that opposed uh, President Nixon's policies of detente and so on. Uh, so th we've been fed this, the reporter brought him down story, this secret mystery source that's in a garage. And this is how screwed up it is. Think about it this way. I interviewed, or we interviewed, three people about whether Woodward briefed Alexander Haig because Woodward has, has denied an interview with me. He's denied it publicly, claims he didn't meet the man until 1973. We interviewed Melvin Laird, the Secretary of Defense. And you know what he told us? Bob Woodward was briefing Alexander Haig. Now, this isn't a guy in the garage. Then we interviewed Admiral Thomas Moore. And we asked more if Woodward was briefing Haig. And he said, sure, of course, I sent him there. <laughs> wow. So Now, those tapes are available uh, online, uh, on, on our website. But I, I wrote it for uh, History News Network with Ray Locker, who's the uh, uh, enterprise editor at USA Today in Washington. We wrote it last week. You can listen to the tapes. You don't have to take Len Kaladi's word that this is true. So we have we have on-the-record sources as high as the Secretary of Defense, and Woodward has some guy in a garage. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. This this is it, this it, is amazing. We've got a uh, great guest with us today. Now, um, you you were talking earlier about Nixon basically setting up a secret government. On January twentieth, nineteen sixty nine, when he signed the NSDM two, um, is that secret government still going to this day, or what, what happened? Yes, that's that's remarkable. We got rid of Nixon, but we didn't get rid of NSDM two, and that's what allows President Obama to bomb with his drones and allows him to go into declare war uh, in one form or another, invade a country and. The answer to NSDM-2, the Congress in 1973 passed the War Powers Act. I'm sure you've heard of it. It was meant to fend off NSDM-2, but it was a joke. 
It says that in fact says this the president can invade a country and then he has to send a letter to the Congress in sixty days to see if they approve or not. What in the world? So we've been going into places see we're going into Syria all based on the powers that allegedly come to the President of the United States. Well, not allegedly. They did come to the President of the United States. In fact, one of the biggest scandals was the result. Remember Iran-Contra, where we were selling, you know, arms in turn for, for cash to give to the Contras and so on and so forth? That was all done using that system. Allegedly, President Reagan didn't know that they were doing what they were doing. So... I mean, it's here today, and the power, the, the way Nixon set it up is very important. The National Security Advisor, the person who, Henry Kissinger, let's say, they are not confirmed by the Senate. They don't have to testify by the Senate or the House. That's why the power is in the hands of somebody who doesn't have to report what Nixon did is he cut out the cabinet, he cut out the Secretary of Defense, he cut out the Secretary of State, and he cut out the CIA director. So that's how the secret government works. Well, today you have a national security advisor to President Obama, and, and that person is not confirmed, doesn't have to tell the Congress what's going on. And that's the beauty of what he set up. Everybody was so taken with John Dean's crazy story about, you know, break-ins and whatever, what happened was the folks that opposed Nixon with Hague in, in power, and, and let me make this plain, if there was a conspiracy, then, then President Nixon's in on it because he made Hague chief of staff. If he doesn't make Hague chief of staff, he doesn't create the situation where they can use this break-in and cover-up to get rid of him. There's a reason that he didn't get impeached and tried in the Senate, because Alexander Haig would have been exposed for a wiretap operation that he was running with Bill Sullivan of the FBI against 17 employees and reporters. I mean, it's a mess. But the fact of the matter is, we've been fed a story, and it's just not true. And it's interesting to see today the people who weren't from back then they love silent coup silent coup is a great book and uh we set up a website so you can go and test the evidence yourself on top of that we've made an arrangement with texas a&m university and they have all the research for my two books silent coup and 40 years war and they're going to be digitizing and making it available to everybody online signed a contract with them uh, a year and a half ago. So we've made great strides in trying to get the real story out, and I think we're, we're republishing Silent, uh, Silent Coup. Uh, it's the 25th anniversary. We have an update in it. Uh, you can get it, I guess, at Amazon or from Trying Day Publishers. But it's a great book, and I, I think it will open your eyes to what's going on today. It's as much about what's going on today. We're, we're in perpetual war. I mean, if you think about it from the standpoint, if you go back, the last war we won was World War II, and we had to do that with our allies. We haven't won a war since World War II. We're like 0-3 or something. 
something you'd fire a football coach over. <laughs> it, 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 yes. It's crazy. Yes. It's crazy. It, it, it is. We've got a, a great guest with us today. Lynn, Lynn Collinday joins us. He's got Silent Coup. He also has uh, Watergate.com is the latest uh, from him. Go check that out. Um, the Woodward and Hague relationship. You were talking a little bit about that earlier. Um yeah. Bring us up to speed on on how that happened and how that got to the point that it did. Well, you know, a lot of things just happen not because they're planned. Uh, Bob Woodward went to Yale University on an NROTC scholarship. Uh, He had served four years, and he owed uh, six years. And somehow or another, he got this assignment uh, that would put him in the Pentagon manning what would turn out to be this secret back channel that Kissinger and Nixon set up to go around the, the state and defense departments. And that job brought him to the White House where he would brief Alexander Haig. Now, he denies that this ever happened when I interviewed him in 1989, but when he was, I guess, forced to name Mark Felt as this mystery source, he says he met him outside Al Haig's office. When Silent Coup came out, the biggest shot that the Post took at the book was over this one issue. Did Woodward know Alexander Haig? And they deliberately didn't... Public. In fact, they had Admiral Moore saying that he he didn't even know who we were. The next day we play the tape, and suddenly Ad, Admiral Moore remembers. So this has told us that the key to unraveling everything was the Woodward-Hague uh, relationship. They lie about it. They lie about it big time. It's it, But it's central to understanding everything. Uh, you know... Woodward portrays himself as this outsider, young reporter who can only get information from this mystery source in a garage. It's craziness. It's made up. It's a fairy tale. Now, uh, how did how did everybody fall for all this? Because I'm just I'm I'm amazed that uh, we, we 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 talk about this stuff on on this on this radio broadcast constantly. We talk about some of the different things that folks, you know, are, are told as far as narratives go. For for instance, with the, the JFK assassination, everybody was believed that it was Lee Harvey Oswald, and now just fairly recently the United States government has come out and said, oh yeah, the CIA did it. Um, 9-11, for years and years and years, we were we were told, oh yeah, it was these, these, these guys got on a plane and they did all this stuff, and now it's basically coming out that yeah, the Saudi government had uh, had had ties to it. How does a- how does things like this with Watergate? How does this stuff stay so secret and so tight over the years? When something like, for instance, a nine eleven, nine eleven happened, you know, not too far long ago, and now it's getting to the point where the official story has just crapped out lack for a better term, how does something like Watergate get to stay as secretive as it does all these years? Or like the Kennedy assassination. How do these things get... Well, is it is it just the fact that people are lazy anymore? Or, or no, what, what has, is it, it has, man? You, you, put your, you put your finger on it. You used the word Watergate. 
And I'm telling you, it isn't about Watergate. Yeah. And that's that's what happened. It became Watergate. And every scandal after that became a gate because of Watergate. Watergate is just the weapon that Nixon's opponents who opposed his foreign policies and his not winning the war in Vietnam used to force him out of office. It's Look, it's not a secret. Silent Coup is 25 years old. The trick is call Len Kaladi names. Don't read the book. Spread the, the word. And the media who were the heroes of, quote, Watergate, that's their trophy. You think they're going to let me come in and take their trophy from them? No way. <laughs> no, no way. He, he is the measurement of investigative reporting. One of the great investigative reporters, Seymour Hersh, wanted to do a book on Gorber back in 1992. I'm told he got about three-quarters of a million dollars for it, came to visit me for three days, and I said, it will never happen. And you know what? That book never happened. It went away. It became a Kennedy book instead of a Woodward book. So, I mean, these are very powerful forces. And when you have people who believe that Woodward's word is is the thing, because, after all, he's our guy. And he was the greatest investigative reporter. He, he couldn't investigate a rain shower. This guy is, he does what Haig wanted him to do. Uh, we called him a cat's paw. You know what a cat's paw? It, it does what the cat wants. Yes. Woodward is Woodward is the cat's paw, and you know we come out and what shows want to put us on saying that the great investigative reporter is a player? And I will tell you this: I, you know, I I worked in the first John F. Kennedy campaign, 1960. I was there there and living when that event happened. I, I studied the, the, the Kennedy assassination, and I worked with Mark Lane, and I worked with Harold Weisberg. I was on television with them. It's a much more complicated story than the Nixon story. It's got all kinds of things coming from all different directions. I found a book called Six Seconds in Dallas by Josiah Thomas, Thompson, just a great book. But it's tougher than than the Nixon story because Nixon taped everything. It's yes, like, yes, he had know. he he was everything was bugged. Nixon Nixon, you know, it, nowadays with all these phones and all the shenanigans and government surveillance, Nixon was ahead of his time. <laughs> you had a military moving against the president. This is incredible. They formed a spiring. You go to my site. You, I, I leave all the evidence there. The reason we know it's true is there's a tape of the president being told by his aides that there's a military spyry. He says, that's a federal offense. This is Nixon, a federal offense. And you know what John Mitchell said to him? Mr. President, we have to paper this over. That's on tape. So I don't have to go prove that there was a spyry. Then Ehrlichman gives me the well-under confession and names names and what they stole and so on. So I called to interview <laughs> Admiral Admiral Moore about the spy ring. And he's telling me it never happened. And I'm reading him from the Wellander Confession where Wellander says that he got 10% and he went through the papers and then he took him to Admiral Moore. And I read him that and he's, oh my God, yes, you know, of course. It's all on tape. It's all, you know. 
So it isn't like Len Kalodny, that, that wacko, has now gone out and found aspiring to go with, you know, there's two versions of, of Nixon. One is, is what I think Silent Coup is the real deal. And then you have the Woodward and John Dean deals, which are just made up crap. Yeah. And I, you know, I interviewed uh, John Dean, and I, I said, I've read everything you you wrote and your testimony before the Senate, and they don't match. So I'm reading them stuff. It's on my, my website as well because it's taped. I'm reading him this stuff, and it doesn't match his testimony. And he says, my editor put that stuff in there. Then he blamed Taylor Branch. He put phony stuff in his book. I mean, what guy just owns his autobiography? I mean, this this is a case. The Nixon thing has ties to the Kennedy thing in the sense that some of the same forces that were working against Nixon were working against Kennedy. Without getting into who killed him, but that that's been known for a long time that the same uh, Kennedy had very little use for the CIA. At one point, he wanted to shred it into little bits. So, you know, it isn't like this isn't about today. As I said to you, that power is sitting in Barack Obama's office and maybe in the office of Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or whatever. And that's usable. You can take a drone and you don't have to go to the Congress and say, I'm going to take the drone and invade country X. You just go do it. Oh, you might have to send them a letter in 60 days. That would be tough. <laughs> now, speaking of that, we, we've, we've got a great guest with us today. Lynn, Lynn, Lynn Coagley joins us here on our broadcast. And um, you mentioned that, that, there is, that, that there is this power that is waiting for Donald Trump or Hillary. Um, I know that Trump, one of the reasons why we like Trump here is the fact that He's always fighting against this kind of stuff. He's fighting against the New World Order. He's fighting against all this stuff. But he gets in there. Is it going to be a situation if they're going to set him down and say, okay, that was fun on the campaign trail, but now you work for us? Is well, that potentially going to happen, Lynn? You know, I, I'm not sure, and I certainly like to deal in real evidence. Uh, he just got rid of his campaign manager. Uh, basically, Paul Manafort, uh, who who worked with Roger Stone and and Charlie Black, yep, made tons of money together. They're running that campaign now, and everybody's saying, "Oh my God, he has a campaign now." Yes, he does. Now I know Roger, and Roger has endorsed my book, but so has Russ Baker. So I have the left, the right, and I just got a <laughs> wonderful endorsement on Facebook today from Tom Houston. I don't know if you know who Tom Houston yes, was, but yes. He, of the famous Houston plan. And he just, uh, on Facebook, said that Silent Coup was, was the, the breakthrough book. It's the book you have to read as an antidote to all the other books. So we're very proud of the people who support us, and, and I know Roger. Roger writes very kindly of Silent Coup. I wouldn't be surprised if he's already handed it to, to uh, Mr. Trump, and maybe even 40 years war. So... I don't know, and I really don't get into the to these conspiracy thinkings 
Yeah. Because I'm just trying to present the facts as I know them. Oh, yeah. And God, yeah. Know, God knows they're devastating enough. <laughs> well, and see, this is the thing. The, 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 they always talk about, you know, they have these websites and they have all these shows, radio shows, TV shows that are all into conspiracies. And I'm like, you know, real life is, a con- is, more, is more entertaining than some of these well, conspiracies. Well, what they do is when they want to put you down, they'll say, Lennon Kalani is a conspiracy theorist. Yes. And I come back yes. and say, I used, I used to be a conspiracy theorist, but I'm now a conspiracy factist. Listen to the tape. Now, um, you, you mentioned also more, more in Radford, the spy ring is right. real. It ties Woodward to some of the major players in, in, in the ring. Um, Wielander Moore, um, Haig. Can you go into that for us? Well, listen to this. The, the spy ring gets discovered in December of 73, but it isn't going to go public for, for quite some time. Yes. And it really becomes public because of the Senate Watergate hearings. They have John Ehrlichman. Remember the guy who did the confession of, of, of Admiral Wellander, yeah. he's, before, he's before the Watergate committee, and he invokes executive privilege on this issue of the spy ring. He, they, they don't know it's a spy ring, but he can't talk about anything like it because it would lead to the spy ring. So now they want to find out what it is. And uh, Howard Baker and, and one or two of the others go down to the White House and meet with Haig and, and meet with the president. Oh, no, can't talk about the spy ring. <laughs> well, two, two reporters uh, from Chicago, Dan Thomason and uh, James Squires, they, they merged their forces and they started to move in the direction of finding it. Now, the last thing Haig needs is for this spy ring to come out. Interestingly enough, Maybe three weeks after Haig becomes chief of staff, into the White House comes a fellow named Don Stewart, who I also have on my website interviewing him. He's the investigator at the Pentagon that unearths more Radford. And he comes to the White House and he wants a job. Haig thinks it's blackmail, that this guy's going to go out if he doesn't get a job and blow the whistle on the spiring. So they start to prosecute him. Shortly after that happens, Wellander goes and has lunch with Woodward. This is now May, the end of May 1973, and Woodward wants to talk to him about what he knows about the spy ring. This is Woodward asking Wellander. This is before Ehrlichman invokes executive privilege. When it finally becomes public by Squires and, and Thomason, Woodward is ready with the story. He prints the pro-spiring story, meaning we didn't do it, it's a bunch of nonsense. That On January 12, 1974, he writes that story with a big picture of Wellander on the front page of the Washington Post. There is no disclosure. Woodward never tells his readers, that's my former boss. He doesn't say, I work for Admiral Moore. It's gone. It's a journalism, you get fired for that. That's uh, the story we came up and wrote, Ray uh, Locker and I wrote for uh, History News Network, and, and now I, we're going to be writing it for Who, What, Why, Russ Baker's uh, site. So uh, it's not a mystery now. We, we know what happened, and we understand Woodward's ties. And as I said, he literally was working for, for General Haig, and they had their boy. Now, 
you know, how he got to the post, whether he was sent there or not, I can't prove that. Uh, it's a very strange situation, though. The day his job at the White House ended, Bob Woodward went to Boston because he was going to go to Harvard Law School. He'd been accepted at Harvard Law School. Yeah. Two weeks later, he says, you know what I think? I want to be a journalist. that's that's an amazing transition there lynn yeah in two weeks and he and by the way you get when you go to to the washington post they just immediately see you i always understood from my life you had to go through the human relations i thought you had i thought you had to put in i thought you had to put in an an application you had to go through human relations you had to get interviews you didn't uh, just walk in and go hey you got the spot and you know what they said to him? We'll put you on trial for two weeks. <laughs> you can write stories. We may not publish them. At the end of two weeks, they said, you know, you really can't write. <laughs> so he goes to this little paper in Montgomery County, Maryland, called The Sentinel. I interviewed Roger Farquhar, who hired him. And I said, you know, you're a weekly. Why did you hire this guy? He said, how many times do you get a guy from Yale at your door wanting the job? And then he said... Woodward handed him this brilliant letter from the Navy, just glowing letter from the Navy about Woodward. And he says to Woodward, you want this job? And Woodward's in the doorframe, and he says to Farquhar, I want this job so bad I can taste it. So he hired the guy. Exactly <laughs> one year later, he was, <laughs> he was at the Washington Post. And by the way, he still couldn't write. Bernstein would have to take it out of the then typewriter. And, and have to redo it so that it would be fit to go in the paper. That and that's in the uh, in their movie. But uh, this is an amazing story, and it's been a long journey. I, when I finished Silent Coup, and I, I started asking people, how did Haig get hired in the first place? Why would you hire this guy? I mean, he did every everything he did was to get Nixon out. And of yes. course, in final final days, he says. Yeah, I did all these things because I wanted to save the country from Nixon. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. Now, you mentioned, uh, Lynn, that uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, and I want you to expand on this now. But Woodward uses Deep Throat basically as a cover. Um, How did they come up with the idea? And kind of give me all the details on this. There was a source at at the Post that was called Deep Throat. But even Barry Sussman, who was the editor, said that Deep Throat had nothing to offer when it came to uh, to to Watergate. Uh, and that's, you know, Woodward created this as a distraction so that you wouldn't be looking for Haig, so you wouldn't be looking for other people who were actually key to, to Woodward. And And it worked. I wrote this 25 years ago. I believe that it was basically a phantom, that if you paid attention to it, you would go down the wrong path. Woodward has his so-called deep throat notes at uh, at Texas University, and he, they paid $5 million. He says the, the March 5th notes are, are Mark Felt, but they're not Mark Felt. They're, they're FBI Associate Director um, Bill Sullivan. I mean, it's crazy. And Bill Sullivan was a real source for Woodward. This is the guy that that uh, ran COINTELPRO for the FBI, 
And he was the guy that put the uh, recording machine under Martin Luther King's bed. So, I mean, this is the real deal. Mark Fell was a guy who was used by Hoover to fend off Sullivan. And that's a whole other story, the war between those two. But, you, you know, all these world, worlds collide. As Nixon gets weaker, these enemies get stronger. And that's what happens in the end. So when I got through it, I wanted to know about how Hay got there to be Kissinger's aide. Roger Morris, who was a staff member of Kissinger, said to me, you know, I think it, the guy's name is Fritz Kramer over at the Pentagon. I think he recommended him to Kissinger. And I had always thought Fritz Kramer was like a football coach at Michigan. That's the Fritz Kramer I knew about. Well, I've now written a book all about Fritz Kramer. Fritz Kramer is the inventor of the provocative weakness theory. Have you heard of the provocative weakness I theory? I have, but explain that to our audience. It's the opposite of Nixon's detente. Nixon wants to sit down and negotiate with everybody, and this guy don't want to negotiate with anybody. The minute you start to negotiate, he says, you look weak. And he goes on to say, basically, you, you take a gun and put it to your other side's head, and that's the way you negotiate. So it, for, here you have Kissinger, who was mentored by Fritz Kramer, it, working with Nixon in the detente part of the government. In comes Haig, who's loyal to Kramer, who also is his mentor. And the two collide. The two theories collide. And in the end, uh, Kramer is going to defeat Kissinger because the provocative weakness theory that I just described to you is used by the Republicans all the time. They call it peace through strength. And you will hear that phrase over and over again from the Republicans. But they're talking about the provocative weakness theory. And Cheney and Rumsfeld, they talked about Kramer like he was God. He was a geopolitical Jesus Christ. Well, where did he come from? Well, it turns out he's also uh, a player, a big-time player. But that's my second book, 40 Years War and the Rise and Fall of the Neoconservatives from Nixon to Obama. Yeah. You have to remember, there were no neocons when Nixon became president. It was reaction to Nixon where the right-wing Republicans joined with the Scoop Jackson Democrats to become the neoconservatives. But there were none before Nixon was president, not under of the current configuration. Nixon administration and Nixon presidency has had great imprint on our country, but if you ask the average guy, oh, that's the guy they threw out. That, you know. <laughs> oh, yes. They do it in a sentence. Oh, he went to China and he broke into the Watergate. That's Say goodbye to Richard Nixon. It's just, and that's part of how they're able to keep the crap going. It really is. It's, it's unfortunate. But I'm finding a much better audience today who who read Silent Coup, look at the evidence, and realize how right it is. And even some of the people that were high up in the administration, I remember I got John Mitchell, who was Nixon's attorney general, one of the powers in his administration. Finally, I got him on the phone to interview him, and I said, did you know Bob Woodward worked at your White House? He didn't have a clue. Remember, I told you Woodward writes this story about the spy ring and doesn't say 
that he's connected to these guys, they, that he worked for them. If that had happened, the White House would have known who Woodward was, and they would have taken care of that problem. But by not disclosing it, he's able, he was able to stay in the character of the outsider, the guy who has to go to this phony source that he created. So, I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense. What he does do or what he doesn't do is consistent. Uh, look, you know that famous 18-and-a-half-minute gap? That, that's the work of, of Al Haig and, and uh, J. Fred Buzzhart. They erased that tape. And guess who d- disclosed that to the world? Ah, uh, Bob Woodward. Surprise. <laughs> We've got I it, mean, yeah. come, come on, it's, it's the real deal. And Woodward does not like me. Now, but if you... Well, Let's let, let's let, let's also talk here. Um, I, you mentioned earlier the removal of Nixon had no impeachment, no trial in the Senate. We ended up with an unelected president, vice president, no guilty verdict. The one thing I I've always wondered over the years, and and I know you'll be able to answer it, is okay. They impeach Nixon. That supposedly he's been impeached, and he, and he and he and he decides to leave. Okay, they impeached Clinton, and he stayed. So <laughs> there's got to you know be a why, reason You know why he here. stayed? He had 67 votes in the Senate. He had, he had nothing to fear. Yeah. If you knew you had the votes in the Senate, that was that impeachment against Clinton was because they thought they could drive him from office, like Nixon was driven from office. They didn't yeah. think it was going to go all the way through. They thought, you know, we can put such heat on this guy; he'll do what Nixon did. There was a problem for for Haig if he got impeached if Nixon got impeached a whole lot of his dirt would come out so they had to stop Haig has a problem he knows Nixon's guilty because he has the tapes right the, he now is chief of staff he's got physical control of these tapes he knows what's on these tapes but how do you get the tapes out so Alexander Butterfield I'm sure you remember the name. Yep. is the guy that goes to the, to the Senate and tells them about the taping system, right? Correct? Yes. Yes, indeed. Who, who told the Senate to call him? Bob Woodward. Now, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> wow. May 17th, wow. 19, 1973, Woodward goes to the Senate Watergate Committee where his good friend, Scott Armstrong, has the job of chief investigator and Woodward says you ought to call Butterfield. They don't call Butterfield. They go through their regular list. And then comes John Dean. And John Dean testifies for like a week. And again, this thing is getting dicey for them because it could open doors that the White House, meaning now meaning Haig and Buzzhart, don't want open. So a week later, another trip to the Senate by Bob Woodward to say, call Butterfield. And this time they call Butterfield. Again, he's the catch ball. He's the catch ball that goes to, to Armstrong and says, call the guy that he knows is going to reveal the system. Uh, is that a, a wonderful coincidence or what? <laughs> it's absolutely amazing, Lynn. I, I, it is. It just, you know, he, he's super bad. He just, no, he's the catch ball. And he does, at key points, he does what they need done to get rid of Nixon. And, you know, we talked about DEFCON 3. Well, they 
they were scared that it had ever gotten to that point and Nixon wasn't available. They had to get Nixon the next morning to sort of ratify what they had done. And they wanted Nixon to resign. And and Buzz Hart and, and Len Garment, who was a, a attorney in, in the, the Nixon White House, they flew down to Florida and tried to convince Nixon, well, you know, it's time to get out of here. And Nixon wouldn't even see them, wouldn't even spend a minute's time with them. And then suddenly, seven days later, the Washington Post reports that there are deliberate erasures on the tapes. Oh, my God, who would be the one reporting that? Yes, you got it, Bob Woodward. <laughs> it's absolutely his, his, amazing. His, his mystery source, Mark Felt, who'd been fired six months earlier by the, F, by the FBI, he's the one that supposedly told him about the and, and he got caught because Woodward would say in, in uh, all the president's men, Deep Throat was just a confirming source. Well, I'm interviewing Woodward, and I've got his book with me. And he says, Len, it's a library book. And I said, Bob, I can't afford to buy the books, but I took it from the library. Let me read you your book. And you said that Throat told you that there were, quote, deliberate erasures on the tape. And I say to him, how can you say deliberate because he's just the confirming source. Didn't you go to him and say, I heard there's erasures, and then he said he confirmed it? Oh, Bob says, it changed. It evolved. He became a direct source. I mean, it's just amazing. And all of this that I'm telling you is on tape. I taped every interview. Eight to hundred to a thousand hours are at Texas A&M where one day will be available to everybody. I interviewed Bob Woodward with my with my co-author Bob Gatlin in Woodward's kitchen with three tape recorders rolling. And that's the kind of stuff we were told. He had to back away from a major claim in his book that Deep Throat was just a confirming source. Now, Deep Throat only... I mean, the, the story that... There were flower pots and flags and circled New York Times right out of the greatest novel you could think of. That means this guy from the FBI, Mark Felt, every day had to drive from his house to Woodward's apartment to see if there was a flower pot out there with a flag in it. Or if he wanted to see Woodward, he'd go inside and somehow circle amongst 20 New York Times as the one that would go to Woodward. I mean, you really had to be gullible. And it turns out all of that's not true, and it's provably not true. And so uh, here's the, the news. The Post has now formed a 20-member team to investigate Donald Trump and maybe Hillary Clinton. And who's leading the team? Bob Woodward. Who else would you want to, to lead that team? It just... Amazing. He still, let me tell you how important he is. You remember when Barack Obama first took office, he was going to look at Afghanistan and have a review of everything and decide if we should get out or not. And it took months to do yes. this. He was going to check with everybody. And then you got Stanley McChrystal, General McChrystal over there, and he's writing the secret report for the military. It's going to go through General Petraeus and through McChrystal, and will go to Barack Obama. So you had a White House where the military was looking for a lot of men on one side, and you had Vice President Biden saying, no, cut it back to 10,000 special ops. Well, the military wanted another surge. 
So you pick up the newspaper that August while the president's making up his mind and still hasn't seen the McChrystal Report, and guess what you see in the Post? The McChrystal Report. <laughs> Is that just amazing? <laughs> Written by Bob Woodward. That was meant to box Obama in. They wanted 80,000 troops, so he ends up, instead of the 10,000 that Biden wanted, it became 40,000. A horrible mistake by Barack Obama. But Barack Obama was boxed in by Bob Woodward. Of course, the secret source, I guess, was McChrystal or Petraeus or, or whatever. The military trusts this man. He's one of them. Of course they do. He Absolutely. talks about how, how he what would remember General Jones was like uh, national security advisor to Obama in the beginning, and yes. he and Woodward met often. Let's say, so I think he went to some party with him or whatever, and traveled over to the Middle East. So, I mean, this story uncovers so many truths and leads you to be able to understand our past 40 or 50 years history. And I'm saying to them, you guys are wrong. And, and uh, I think it's been borne out. It's, it's an incredible story. And I guess if I didn't know better, I'd think, ah, Kaladi's making it up. He must, must be a crazy, you know. <laughs> he, he doesn't understand Watergate. No. That's true. Maybe I, I write the middle part of my books all about Watergate because Dean was was uh, bugging the place to get dirt on the Democrats. He had been bugging. He had gotten a whole of a a black book for of a New York prostitute named Xavier Hollander, Madame X, back in October of of seventy one, and the unfortunate part of that little black book, half of them were Republicans, so he couldn't use it. Well, where do you get Democrats? Just Democrats. You're right, the DNC. How about that? We'll do that. So, I mean, it's just, this was a crazy time. And, and the secret government had all the power. But outside that vacuum, crazy people operated. You know, you had all kinds of nut jobs. Hunt, I mean, Liddy. I mean, this was incredible. It was like a Roman circus out there. They could do most anything. So, I mean, at the end, you know, I think we've done a, a great job of re-evaluating re the history, trying to see what the players were all about. But for this country to have had a coup, the Constitution was constructed so that wouldn't happen. Yeah. It was meant, because you could drive any president out, just like that. All you had to do was, I guess, you know, heat it up, and, and what better way to heat Today, social media, I mean, it would be incredible. And so I don't want to see another president go out in a feeding frenzy. To me, to have had an unelected president, unelected vice president, I don't see a way Jimmy Carter becomes president if that happens, and maybe not Ronald Reagan, because if Nixon had survived, he never would have tolerated Reagan. So you really, history totally turned on this event. Richard Nixon is is one of the most important presidencies that we had. For five years, it was one of the most productive presidencies we had. So everybody says, well, he got us to China. Yes, he did. Paid a hell of a price, didn't he? <laughs> well, Len, you need to, yeah. we, we, have, we have run out of time, my friend. Oh. Where, where, where can we find you online and, uh, and pick up the books and everything like that? 
Well, Amazon uh, or Trying Day, the publisher, is will get will get you a book. And uh, I mean, I'm at Watergate.com. We put stuff up, and and uh, there's a lot of evidentiary material. We did it set up Watergate.com, and I know you've looked at it. You'll yeah. see it's an educational site. We're not there to, you know, this isn't drama. We're saying this is what. The evidence is, and this is what it means, and, and hopefully people will go there. Well, I appreciate you making time for us today. We definitely uh, have to run, my friend, but thanks for being uh, with us today. I will be, I will be in touch. Thank you, Lynn. Learned a lot this hour, my friend. Lynn Colliday with us today here on our broadcast.